All right. Well, man, what an incredible time of worship and what an incredible presence in this place. Father, we just thank you. We acknowledge your presence in this room. And we thank you for all the things that you've taught us this weekend, God. But we also thank you, Father, that just as you have begun, your word says that you're faithful to complete. So, God, you do it in this room. Everything that you've started, God, I trust you to complete it. In the name of Jesus, amen. So many perceptions that we're being nailed with on a daily basis. We've talked a lot this week, and I heard, got to hear nuggets of a lot of the speakers speaking during the breakout sessions and talking about all the different perceptions that we struggle with. And to recap a little bit, last night we learned about how our perception is, is rooted and predetermined by our core beliefs. If you remember, I talked about this space over here on the stage kind of representing our core beliefs and how our core beliefs navigate us by our perception our perspective and bringing us into the paradigm in which we live. And all of life is about us lining up our paradigm with the core belief of what God says. But there's a lot of voices out there that we we are challenged by and that speak to us on a daily basis. I want you to know that living according to the voice of God doesn't mean you're never going to hear other voices. Hear me when I say this. Listen, overcoming fear doesn't mean I never face fear. Overcoming depression doesn't mean I never feel depressed. You understand what I'm saying? Because I think we think that walking in victory means I'm never going to face any opposition in my life. But the word that I read says that he prepareth a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. So, so I think we need to have an understanding of what victory means, that it doesn't mean I'm never going to have battles. It doesn't mean I'm never going to hear the voice of the enemy. But what I want you to know is that there are often very, very loud voices that we will struggle with on a regular basis, but there's only one voice that carries power, and that's the voice of my God. And the only power that any other voice has is the power that you choose to give it. See, I I like to go into school systems and speak to them. Groups, hundreds, thousands. I spoke to 5,000 students uh, about a year ago. And I talked to them about the superpower that they've been given. It's the power of choice. Everybody's looking for the superpower, right? We're We're all intrigued by the supernatural gifts. That's why our kids love Lord of the Rings. They love Twilight. They love all of these these shows where people are given superhuman powers. Because deep inside of us, the person of God is stirring and making us hunger, causing us to hunger for things outside of the natural. That's the super on your natural that we talked about last night. And your greatest superpower is the power to choose. It's the power to choose. In Colossians 2.6, it says, and therefore you have received Christ Jesus. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to you. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Do you understand that the word, the Greek word believe means to be established? It has been established. It is finished in this place. And all of these things can speak to me and they will speak to me. But I have decided, I have predetermined. I am established and I am rooted in faith. 
But then it says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ dwells the fullness. Everybody say fullness. In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, my child, are complete in Christ. Everybody say, I am complete. I'm not missing anything. Listen, when God came by and said, I'm going to bless you with this, I'm going to bless you with this, I'm going to bless you with, oh, not you, sorry. That's not how God works. See, he says you are complete in him. And, and we have two choices here. We have the philosophy of the world, the basic traditions of man, or we have the fullness of Christ. But you can't have both. You have to choose. That's why the Bible is so intentional. Moses tells the people of Israel, when you get to the promised land, you will be positioned between two mountains. And the promised land will be a valley. And one set of mountains represents blessing, and the other set represents curses. And I'm going to position you prophetically on a daily basis where you can visually see every day I have a choice. Choose blessing or curses, death or life. And he says, now choose life and it will go well with you and, come on now, this is the overflow, and into your generations to come. I would like to propose to you not only have the power to choose for your life, but you have the power to choose for the generations that come out of you. That's what we call leaving a legacy for the kingdom. Receiving the heritage of Christ, receiving it and pouring it out and causing a legacy to come out from your womb. That's the people of God. That's the right that we have. We have two choices. The basic principles of the world is your system. It's the paradigm of the world that we talked about. Think about this word, taken captive. Beware lest you be taken captive, stuck, enslaved, victimized, chained up by. Anybody feel stuck in a situation? If you feel stuck and you say, I'm stuck, I don't have an option, you don't understand, here's what I'm going to tell you is where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In every situation that you are in, there is always an option. Because I know God. I know my God. He's a breakthrough God, and he always provides a way. He always provides a way. But part of it starts with what Denora was saying this morning. We've got to stop thinking about our circumstances and start praising our God. We need to stop being in awe of how crappy our life is. And being, come on, that's what we're doing. Oh, gosh, I'm in awe. You're never going to believe what happened. You're in awe of your bad situation. You're, rev you're showing a reverence for what the devil is doing in your life. And it's time that we understand that the devil's deceiving us. He is a liar. I'm here to tell you he's a liar. 
He is a liar, and you get to. You get to say, no, I'm stopping. Do you know how many times in my counseling room that people come in, and they'll just be like, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And that's important. I need to listen to them. But at some point, I say, okay, stop. Time out. Because we're at 40 minutes, and i got 20 minutes left to shift you into what you do have. Do you remember the widow woman in 2 Kings when she comes to the prophet and says, Oh, my gosh, my husband has died, and, and, and our, uh, the, man, the debtor is coming to take me and my children, and I have nothing left. And she begins to cry and weep uncontrollably about everything that she doesn't have and all that she's about to lose. And the prophet says this, Go back into your house and tell me what you do have. Come on. This is not in my notes. Go back into your house and tell me what you do have. But what he was saying is, sweetheart, you need a change of mind. Because this isn't about what you don't have. It's about what you do have. And when she said, well, all I have is this. And he said, you bring me that. The faith the size of a mustard seed and you and I are going to move mountains in your life. You and I are going to move mountains in your life. And this is the power to choose. We're not just talking about a freedom from the captivity of a world. We're talking about the freedom to. It's not just a freedom. See, when they were set free from Israel, they weren't just delivered from. It was God's desire to deliver them into. But somewhere in the middle they got stuck. Now hear me. Hear me when I tell you this. They wandered around in the wilderness. God's love was with them. His presence was with them. His provision was with them. And all was well, yet they were missing out. I'm talking to somebody in this room. Because some of us have decided everything is well. It's all good. But somewhere inside of you, there's a stirring that knows that you know that you know that you know there's something more for me. That I know I've been eating on manna. Every day God has provided for me and I have just enough. See, that God moved them from the land of not enough to the land of just enough. But his deepest desire was to move them to the land of more than enough. That's my God. That's my God. And and can I tell you that a lot of times we preach the gospel that says, oh, that's my God. He's right on time and he's always just enough. That's not the Bible I read. Because everywhere when I look at at scripture, it talks about God being a God of overflow, a God of more more than enough, a God of plethora. He's an expanding God. The kingdom of God is on the increase. The kingdom of heaven is on the increase. That's why it says that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ from glory unto glory unto glory unto glory unto glory From increase to increase to increase. And here's what I know that I know. What that means is this morning when I woke up, I looked like Jesus. But tonight when I go to bed, I'm going to look more like him. And tomorrow when I wake, I'm going to look more like him. And next week when I wake up, I'm going to look more like him. How do I know? Because scripture tells me. And if scripture says it, I believe it. Because I am rooted and I am established in all the world. All of my circumstance will scream against that truth. But the paradigm does not define my core belief. My core belief shifts my paradigm. That's the power and the authority that I have been given. Now listen, I want to talk to you about this concept of self-love. 
Because I want to take us a step further this weekend because I think sometimes we've come to a place where we become okay with who we are. But I want to give you permission this weekend to really understand the power of self-loving yourself. Now, I'm not talking about the worldly perspective of self-love. See, the world says build yourself up. Get in touch with you and what's important to the world and glorify yourself. That's what the world says. The world says you don't have to be the best. You just have to be better than everybody else around you. Come on. The world will keep us stuck in competition. Feeling inferior. Feeling intimidated. Because we've allowed the world to become our standard of measure. The basic principles and the tradition. We've become captive to it. And we measure our performance, our worth, by what the world tells us. Can I tell you, we teach our kids this at a very young age when we put lettered grades on the top of their page. No teacher stops to ask that child, sweetheart, did you work really hard? Did you do your very, very best? Did you study and did you do all that you did? Then I'm going to give you an E for effort. And your E means an A. That's not how they're measured. Listen, my son played uh, basketball. He, was a var- he played on the varsity team as a freshman. Came into, co- into high school playing on the varsity team. His entire four years, he played basketball on the varsity team. About his junior year, he started being scouted by other colleges, and they began to ask questions. What is his shooting percentage? What is his reputation? Can his parents afford to send, send him to our institution? And I'm here to tell you that at the end of his senior year, there were several scholarships that were placed before him. Dollar-based value that said, this is how worthy your son is to play basketball at our institution. And they had never spoken to him. They had never even talked to him. See, they can't do that when they're scouting. All they did was look at his performance. And my son was given a value based on the world's system. And nobody bothered to get to know his heart. We go in for job interviews. They take a look at her education. They took a look at her experience. They take a look at what we're wearing. What is our appearance? Are we presentable? And they place a dollar value. They say, this is what we want to hire you for. See, the world is teaching us that this is how we're valued. And that's the perception of the world. It's a self, it's a worldview based on self that comes from what does the world tell me is important? And what does it look like for me to show a love and a confidence in myself according to the world? Now, on the flip side, religion view says self-love is don't build yourself up. Don't boast about your accomplishments. In fact, don't even take a compliment. It makes you look arrogant. We know this is true of the story of David. He comes and he shows up on the battlegrounds. And let me tell you what, Saul's army, they're the church. Okay? They were the people of God. They were the chosen ones, all dressed, all armored, all ready to go, yet shaking and never engaging. Come on now, I'm speaking to somebody. Because we've been given the righteousness of Christ. We are girded up with the blood of Jesus, yet often we stand shaking but never engaging. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about the people of God. And David shows up and says, listen, if I know my God, he has said that's our land. 
See, there was a firmly established in David, the smallest one, the least likely, the one whose everybody's armor was too big to fit. But let me tell you what. It wasn't the stone that cast the enemy down that day. It was his confidence. Because he said, I don't come at you with sword and spear. And he didn't say, I come at you with a sling and a stone. He said, I come at you with the name of the Lord God of Israel. And God has said, that is our land. And I am so established in it, I don't care what my paradigm is screaming right now. There's a firmly established in my heart, in my mind. And because of that, there's a confidence and a boldness that says, I'll fight Goliath. And how did the church respond? You're arrogant. You're proud. You came here to mock us. Go home. See, the church doesn't want you to be confident in your abilities. And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about religious view, in general as a whole. But God says to love and appreciate the creation is to love and honor the creator. I'm going to say that again. To love and to appreciate the creation is to love and appreciate and honor the creator. See, when I I read a book, the book reflects something about the heart of the author. When I look at a painting... It tells a story that the painter wanted to tell. When I read a poem, it reflects something that the poet wants to say. And the Bible says that we are a workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared ahead of time. That word workmanship comes from the Greek word poeme, which means poem. And that means I am the writing of the Lord. My life is telling a story. And in this story, there is a reflection of the heart of the poet. And there's something he wants to say, and he wants to say it through you. He has a story he wants to tell, and your life is to be a reflection of that story. But to say, I hate the story, is to say, I hate the writer. To say the parts of this story are not good enough, is to say that the writer didn't know what he was talking about. Why can we not boast in the creation saying, I have an incredible creator who does all things well. He does all things well. The Bible says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That word to form means I fashioned you. I formed you. I put you together while you were in your mother's womb. In the Amplified, it says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I approved of you as my chosen instrument. Everybody say, I have been approved. Say it again. Say it again. (laughs) But many of us are still at a place where we're discovering our design. We're still discovering our design. And here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter how much you've come into your God design. There's more to discover. There's always more to discover. Why? Because you're on the increase. God is always doing something more. Listen, there's a natural law that we live by and we expect it. If you have rose bushes in your house, you know in your house. If you have rose bushes outside of your house, growing in your, you know you have those knockout bushes here in Texas? Those things are like wild animals. 
And we cut them back, but yet they multiply, do they not? And we expect that. If I cut a root at the tree or a root at, or a tree at the trunk, it's going to sprout. Why? Because there's a root system that causes it to grow, and I expect it. I expect that my knockout rose bushes next year are going to be bigger than they were this year. And I think we believe in natural law more than we believe in spiritual law. I think we're more confident in what nature is doing than we are in what God is doing, not realizing that nature is a reflection of God. Right? Because God is simply speaking to us through all of nature. All of creation cries out and speaks of the heart of God. That's what it tells me in the Psalms. But we have more faith in, the, in science. We have more faith in the natural than we do in what God is. Uh, listen, listen to me well. Listen to me well. There was a lot of fruit that came from my life this year, but next year there will be more. And I am confident in that, and I will speak in that, and I will not accept anything less than that. Why? Because to live is to grow, and to grow is to change. To live, every living thing grows, and every growing thing changes. And if we don't see growth and change in our life, somewhere there's a deadness. Somewhere from the root to the fruit, we've been cut off. Because if I'm abiding in Christ, I'm going to grow. And, and of course, there are going to be areas in my life that are pruned, but out of those places is going to come much more fruit. That's what Scripture says. So I welcome the trials and the tribulation. I consider it all joy because I know that God is not willing that I would be immature or incomplete, but he's ever growing me because that's how God does. I, there are places I have been able to go five, six, seven years in a row back for women's retreats. And can I just tell you, it saddens me that from year to year, there are some women who have never grown. Every year, they want to talk to me about the same issue. It makes me crazy. It makes me crazy because I think it is an offense to the cross. I really do. And that's not, I'm not offended by them. My heart breaks to, for them. But that somewhere they have missed it. Because if we're rooted in Christ, it's not about figuring out my problems. It's not about figuring out my relationship. It's simply about being rooted in Christ because you can't stop what God is doing. It should be more difficult for us to not grow than it is for us to grow. It should be more difficult for us to sin than it is for us to not sin. If we're rooted in Christ and walking in the holiness of God, it should be more difficult for me to walk in impurity than it is for me to be pure. Come on now, I'm talking to somebody in this room. Let's keep it real. But we make it all about trying to stop being impure instead of rooting ourselves in the purity of God and allowing it to come. Just allow it to come. So I want us to get back to this place of where we have this freedom of loving you, loving your identity. I love in the Song of Songs, it says, I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Dude, listen to this woman. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. Like this woman has got it going on. She's confident. She's bold. And she knows that she's loved. But listen, this woman saw herself through the eyes of her lover. See, her perception, her perspective, and her paradigm was grounded in the core belief that she was loved by her lover. Her name was literally called Beloved. Her name was called Beloved because she was rooted in the idea of being loved. Come, come on now, because what will religion tell us? They will say you grow closer to God by loving and serving others, but that's not the Bible I read. That's a Martha. The Bible I read says, be loved by God. 
Saturate yourself in his love. And up out of that will come a service that you cannot stop. And there will be joy in it and there will be energy in it. It will not suck you dry and it will not leave you empty. Permission to love ourselves. In Psalm 139, it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now listen to this part. It says, for that my soul knows very well. Okay, who I'm talking about, my personality now. I'm talking about my think. I'm not talking about a knowledge, but the core of my being. The creation in me has saturated and has consumed my soul, and I know it very well. I am totally and utterly and completely in agreement. In my third book, To Love and to Be Loved, there's an entire section in there that talks about self-reconciliation and reconciling with you. It is possible for you to be reconciled with God but not be reconciled with you. And that's what I'm talking about here. And I tell a whole story about how how I had to reconcile the size of my hips. It's, It's quite comical. But I had to go through this moment where God kept resurrecting this image, this picture of when I was a child and I hated this picture because I, I was wearing a tutu and I remember that the tutu was too small and so they had to have a specially made tutu for me. Everybody else's girls' tutus fit them, but mine didn't fit me. And so apparently at the age of five, this established a core belief that began to navigate everything I perceived. Every time I looked in a mirror, I saw huge hips. This sounds ridiculous, but I tell this story and women will start crying. They're like, oh, my God, I feel like my hips are too big, you know, because it's a real struggle that we have. And I had to go back to that place, break that core belief, and come into the the truth of Jesus Christ. And what he spoke to me in that moment was, I have never created you to fit the pattern of the world. I am telling you your anointing is too big to fit anything that's already been established. See, even then, there was a purpose and a design in me. She talked about Moses earlier. I loved it because I said, even then, even then, there was a stirring in his heart. There was a purpose in his heart. And, and moved on out of time was out of the will of God. But the reality is, even then, Moses knew there's a purpose inside of me to rescue my people. Joseph spoke his dreams too soon and out of time with God, but even then there was a purpose inside of him that cultivated an act of speaking to his brothers about his dreams. See, your purpose, your design, it's fit to who you are. It's eat, the yoke of the Lord is easy. His burden is light. But it starts with you choosing it. You've got to say no to the paradigm of the world and say yes to God. Let me tell you a story. It's in the Bible. John chapter 8, a woman being stoned. Here we have a woman being drugged to the church, by the way, which was the court system of the day, being brought to the temple by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and said this woman was caught in the act of adultery. No question about it, according to the law, she was supposed to be stoned. There was already a decision that was made by the paradigm of the world, the philosophy of the world that says her value is nothing. She is worthless to society and she is worthy of death. Come on now, there's some of you struggle with that that message in your own mind on a daily basis that says because of everything you've done according to the tradition of the world the philosophies of man there is no value left in your life and you're worthy of death 
And so we have the opinion and the perception of the Pharisees in that moment. Speaking one message to her. And then we have the message of the passive onlookers. I like to kind of affectionately say that's the church. Where they're like, uh, we're not going to throw a stone, but we're not going to get involved either. <laughs> we're just going to be passive. Come on. Because we don't want to cause any waves. We don't want to get involved in politics. We don't want to get involved with the homeless. We don't want to cause it. Well, guess what? Y'all are wave starters. In case you haven't read the Bible, we are supposed to be the wave. We're not supposed to cause waves. We should be the tsunami that's overtaking the world. We are the influencers. Not to be influenced, but to be influencing. But yet here we see people that are like, mm, I'm not going to judge. I just don't want to judge. It's not for me to say. Yeah, it is for you to say. Because God has already had a say. God has already had a say. But there was another perception in that scene. And it was the perception of Jesus. And everybody, I like to say, if this was a movie that we were watching, and there was this big hype and this drama and all this stuff going on, and all the music, la, 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 what say you, Jesus? And the, the camera would zoom in on his face. And everything would get quiet. And Jesus is so cool, guys. He's, I, I'm telling you, he's got to be so cool. He's just kind of like, hmm, not succumb by the drama of the world. Come on. I'm not going to react to your emotions. I'm not going to react to your timing, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to ask the Lord, what do you think? I'm not going to ask the world what they think. I'm not going to ask the woman how she feels. I'm not going to ask these guys what they think. I'm going to ask God. In fact, Jesus, being God in human form, said, I'm not even going to give you my own opinion. I'm going to ask the Lord. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. That's what you call discernment. Come on. That's a picture of discernment. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to be succumbed to the drama and the hype of the moment, but I'm going to step back and I'm going to say, everybody calm down. And let's just, get, let's just wait for a minute. Let's take authority over this scene. That's the authority that God has given to us. See, a lot of times our emotions are like, hey, blah, 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 blah. What say you, Lisa? What are you going to do now? La, la, la. And I mean, it's in my own head, right? I got the whole scene going on in my head. But it takes self-control and the understanding of the power and the authority that you have and the right that you have to say everything stop. I'm going to do nothing. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to doodle on a piece of paper until I hear from God. And I'm not going to live my life in reaction, but I'm going to live my life in response to the kingdom. But here's what I want you to know. In that moment, there was another perspective. And it was the perspective of the woman. So we see the perspective of the world. We see the perspective of the church. We see Christ's perspective who says, I don't care what they say. When I look at you, I see love. I see value and I see life. And I see a woman who is worthy of rising up and moving on in her life. But in that moment, the woman had a choice. And if she would have stood up, looked at the eyes of Christ and said, I see the love you have for me. It's evident in the way you're looking at me. I've seen the works that you've been doing, and I'm enamored with your love. But if you don't mind, I'm going to believe what they're saying instead. And she walked away. We would think that was ridiculous. That would be a horrible ending to the story. 
But the Bible says that everybody left, and it was just her and Jesus standing left together. A choice that she had to make to believe Christ and not the world. That's your power. That's your superpower. That is the greatest supernatural gift we've been given, is the ability to choose. Because it requires us to step into the spirit to take control over that and actually do it. That's your supernatural power, is the power to choose. But I want to go one step further, and I want to talk to you for a minute about putting a demand on your design. I talked a little bit about that yesterday. How do we put a demand on your design? David put a demand on his design when he said, I'll fight Goliath. He couldn't see the victory. He probably couldn't figure out how the victory was going to happen. I have no doubt there was fear in him. But he didn't respond to the fear. He responded to his faith. Remember I said overcoming fear and walking in victory, walking in courage, walking in boldness doesn't mean I never feel fear. If you think I don't ever feel fear, you're crazy. But I say fear I see you, fear I recognize you. You can come along with me if you want, but you're not driving my car. So you're going to just be a dismissed, I'm not going to pay attention to you, and I'm certainly not going to let you navigate my life. That's what it means to live a life in victory. Now listen, here's what I want you to, want you to hear me saying. In, the, in, the, in Mark chapter 5, I have been talking this entire time about how, how your core belief navigates your paradigm, right? I've been talking this whole time about that. But there, in Mark chapter 5, there's a woman with, with an issue of blood. And here's what I want you to hear me saying. Her core belief actually changed her paradigm. It navigated her encounter with Jesus. So there are times when we come to know the woman at the well had an encounter with Jesus and it changed her core belief. But we can come to a place where our core belief is so established that our core belief navigates our encounters with Jesus. Hear me when I'm saying this because now I'm shifting. Everybody's like, mm, say that again. I'm talking about the authority that we have to say, because I believe this, God has given me the authority to reach out and say, this is what's going to happen. See, because the Bible says that this woman said if she had predetermined, listen, she had heard about Jesus, she came up to him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Against all the oppression, against all the, the, the crowd pressing, there was opposition there. But there was a greater opposition within her, and it was her core belief that said, I've heard about this man. And she said to herself, because she had thought, if, if I can only touch his clothes, I will be healed. She didn't say, I might, I hope, I pray, if it's God's will. She said, I know this man. I know his character. I know who he is. And if I only touch the edge of his cloak, I will be healed. And I would like to propose to you that what we see here is the ability to say, because of my core belief, God has given me authority to reach out and touch him and say, this is what's going to happen when I touch you. This is what I'm going to pull in because I know what you've said to me. Is that not what Jacob did in the wilderness when he said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me? He was wrestling with an angel of the Lord. And he said, I know what God has promised me. And he says, that's my land. And there's all kinds of opposition, but I don't care because I'm not letting you go until you give me what's mine. That's putting a demand on the kingdom. 
Jesus demonstrates this when he turns water into wine. He says, my time has not yet come. Yet somehow he reaches out into time and pulls into the now what was necessary for this moment. Come on, I'm talking to somebody. I'm trying to take you into another leather level of authority. Into another level of understanding the power. A lot of times we sit back like Moses and the Israelites saying, God, would you part the waters? But God is saying to you today, why are you crying out to me? Raise your staff, which represents the word of God, and part the water and move forward. See, that's putting a demand on your design. Some of you have been waiting on God, and I hear the Lord say, my daughter, I'm waiting on you. Reach out and put a demand on what is yours and pull it in. Pull it in. See, because the Bible says that when she was healed, Jesus said to her, what? Your faith. Because you believed, you have been healed. See, her belief changed her paradigm. Her belief navigated her encounter with Jesus, and she put a demand on kingdom riches and said, I need you in my life. And I'm reaching out and I'm pulling it in. That's the power of the word. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about this class that I want to offer you guys. How do I use the word to say, soul, I'm putting a demand on you. And I'm enforcing you to come into an alignment with healing, with restoration, with fullness, with confidence, with joy, with peace, with love, with self-control, with faithfulness. I'm speaking to you, soul. And today I win because I am established. I cannot be moved. I am firm and I am stable in this place. See, to believe means to be stable. No more wavering. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. And it shall be given unto you. But when you ask, you must believe. Because he who does not believe is like a man who's tossed back and forth like the waves of the sea. That man should not believe he's going to get anything from God because he is unstable in all of his ways. Why? Because we look to the world for wisdom. We look to ourselves for wisdom. We let our feelings be our wisdom. Come on. Instead of asking God and saying, I'm established and it is rooted and I'm not leaving I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And then we've got to learn how to guard that design. The Bible says above all else. Listen, y'all know it's healthy to have healthy boundaries. You've got to put some boundaries up in you. And I understand that the Bible says putting the interests above your, putting the interests of others above your own. But it says forgot not, forgetting not thine own interests, but putting the interests of others before your own. And listen, I'm going to love people all day long, and I'm going to sacrifice for them, but not at the expense of my own design. Not at the expense of my own design. I tell students all the day, all the time, and I'm going to tell you in here, every relationship you have is either a liability or it is an asset to your God design. And if it is not an asset, cut it off. Cut it off. Because God says, above all else. It says, keep with all diligence thine heart. To keep with all diligence in the Hebrew means to put it under lock and key as though it were a treasure. But you know what the problem is? We don't treasure us. We don't treasure our God design because in your heart is your God seed, is the God seed that is dying and poking and prodding and stirring and wanting to come to pass. And we're not cultivating it, we're not guarding it, and we're not treasuring it. We don't treasure who we are. We're not in love with our God design. And I'm saying to you this weekend, it is time for you to fall in love with you.
It is time for you to be enamored with who you are, the gifts that God has given to you. And boast and celebrate all the more, even in your weaknesses, knowing that in that place God is perfecting his power. That's what it means to guard your, own, guard, your, guard your own design and guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. You mentioned that this morning. A lot of people are wondering, why don't I feel this wellspring of life? Because you're not guarding your design. You're giving it away. You're putting everybody before you. You're putting everything before you. You're putting your feelings before you. And you're not guarding your design. For it is the wellspring of life. The people in the greatest showman fell in love with their design. They came to recognize the value of their creation just as they were. They came to the point of celebrating it and they erupted in the form of a song entitled, This Is Me. And I can't help but think of the psalmist who cried out in Psalm 139, Oh yes, you shaped me first inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, high God, for you are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. Oh, what a creation. I would like to propose to you, they stole the lyrics of This Is Me from the psalmist in 130, Psalm 139. Because that's what I hear the psalmist saying. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Y'all, are you planning on coming up? Yes, you are now. Come on, let's go. I believe the Lord for a prophetic worship to come out anytime we want. We're going to put a demand on them right now, aren't we, ladies? So listen, the words in the song says, so look out, devil, because here we come. And we're, we're marching to the beat of God's drum. We hear the beating of his heart and we're getting into rhythm with the heartbeat of God within us. And we're not scared to be seen. And we will make no apologies because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is more than a fact that I know. It's a reality in which I live. Ladies, will you stand with me? And as we close, I want you to start praising God for your creation. Thank you, God, for who I am. I praise you, Father, for the gifts you've given to me. I thank you, Father, that I am beautiful, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I believe God says you're beautiful, and I agree, you are beautiful. That's what I call self-reconciliation. See, it's one thing for us to say, God, I believe you when you say I'm beautiful. It's another thing to shift and say, and I agree, Lisa, you are beautiful. I believe you, God, that you have forgiven me and you hold no sin against me and you keep no record of my wrongs. And I agree, Lisa, I do not hold you accountable. I keep no record of your wrongs. For I see the beauty and the purity and the righteousness of Christ. And you, you follow what I'm saying? I'm talking about going to that next step of not just saying I believe God and what he says, but I can say it to myself. That I've come into total agreement and my soul knows it very, very well, there is no dissension. My soul is not disquieted within me, for I am confident, I am firmly established, and I am rooted in Christ. And all the world can scream, but there's one voice that moves me. Hey! Only one voice. Only one voice. 
Now listen, I'm not talking about not hearing other voices. I'm saying not listening. Not hearkening at the sound of the other voices. I'm not talking about shutting those, those other, we live in a world with voices. That's a reality in which we live. Things are going to break. People are going to say stuff. Circumstances are going to be crappy. But my God, my God, my God. It's all we need to say. I tell my clients all the time, God's butt will always be bigger than yours, baby. <laughs> but God. But God. But God. Whatever it is going through your heart and your mind right now, I want you to speak into that thing and say, but God. But God says, and if God says it, I believe it, and I will not be moved. God, we're not leaving here today until you bless us. For he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. We're seeking the reward of God today. Because your word says, God, that if we earnestly seek you, that you will pour the rewards of heaven upon us. See, listen, I'm not here to beg. I'm just here to receive my inheritance. Ha! I'm just here to receive my inheritance, God. Not because of anything I've done. Not because of my good works. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've earned it. But because of who you are and what you've done. And when you look at me, you see the blood and the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. And I'm just here to collect my inheritance. Just receive it. Just receive it. So open up your arms nice and wide, ladies. Nice and wide. Nice and wide. Nice and wide. Because he's a big, big God. And there's a big, big reward. There's a big, big blessing. See, it delights the father to bless his children. That's what the word says. He's delighted to bless you. Now receive it. Just receive it. Not by any works. Just receiving it. This is when we get to just wait on the Lord. But God, we're not leaving. We're putting a demand on what we know you have said.